welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Good morning. I'm LV. I'm a sexaholic. I'm not sure if Tom said I had seven years of sobriety or several years, but it's not seven. Several. Okay. Several. Uh, I ha- uh, my date is... Um, October 2006. That would make it about five and a half. Um, I have not been to every marathon that there has been to go to in the southeast. I've been to several um, and have invariably enjoyed them. And I was just in... Uh, let me stick my watch up here. I knew I was going to forget to do that. <clears throat> um, bear with me while I set the timer. Um, I was just sitting in a slogans meeting uh, before coming in here. And it just hit me that I can remember five years ago um, meeting with three people, four people in somebody's office um, who's not even you know a part of our our group anymore. Um, and then you know here we are today, almost fifty of us, uh, and and that you know. Our, our fellowship here has grown. I'm, I don't go to the Tuesday night meeting, but I'm told that uh, regularly now it is standing room only, which means there's probably about 20, 20 or 20 plus people there on Tuesday nights a lot of times, which is uh, you know crazy. We've got 30 plus on our phone list, which is updated regularly, so this is not people who stopped coming four years ago. Um, it's people who are, who are still showing up. Um, Whereas Amy's in the back there. Amy was here when I when I showed up, and so she remembers those two and three and four person meetings. And now here we are. So um, that's really cool. The title or the topic of this uh, talk is um, how I got here and why I'm still here. And uh, I was grateful to be asked to speak because it gave me a chance to review that stuff for myself. Um, especially the second half. You know, why am I still here? Uh, and I'll, obviously I'll talk about that. But I hope that there's something in, in this for people who are newer and people who've been around for a while. Um, we'll see. Uh, how I got here. I, you know, I guess I got here the same way all of us did. Uh, page 44 of, of the big book, it says, you know, if when we honestly wanted to, we found we could not quit entirely, or if when last thing we had a little control over the amount we took, we were probably sexaholic. Um, that was me. Um, you know, I was... Uh, I knew before I got here that something was wrong. I didn't know what the name was or really what to do about it, but I had had a number of experiences with my own powerlessness, uh, including, as I've already heard mentioned today, setting boundaries about what I would and would not do and then walking right past them without even thinking about it until it was over with. Uh, Acting out uh, in ways in which it was either highly likely that I would get caught or I knew for sure that I would get caught and I was terrified of being caught and none of that stopped me. 
the, the, the knowing the possible consequences had no effect. You know, I just, I just did it. Um, so, you know, I got here because I, I knew that there's something wrong and, and I couldn't stop it. And that, well, let me say this. Knowing that I had that problem is what brought me to meetings. But it was my own inner misery that brought me eventually to recovery. You know, I was in meetings for probably 10 months. I started coming regularly in October of 06, and, but didn't hit my bottom until the summer of 07. You know, and, and I didn't act out that whole time, so I had what Bill S. calls sobriety. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't acting out, but I was not happy. Uh, I had a, a period of no medication to cover my feelings and stuff, and, and but no recovery. And in that period, I'd never been so miserable. But I needed that because it was that it was that misery that eventually brought me to my bottom. Um, and I like to talk about bottoms a little bit because. I think in my mind, and this may be the case for others, I had in mind that a bottom was, you know, when, I'm, when I've lost everything, I'm in jail, I'm about to go to jail, I've lost my job, my marriage, and certainly those things, you know, have all happened to, to some of us. Um, but none of that had happened to me when I hit my bottom, and it wasn't currently happening when I hit my bottom. So what had happened, though, and it says in the white book, I remember the first time I read in the white book where it says... Uh, Something's wrong with me and I can't fix it. I think it's in the chapter on step one. And I had said those words to my wife in, in uh, August of 07 after I'd been coming to meetings for about 10 months. And I hadn't read that in the book yet. Um, I'd had a series of depressions, crying jags. I didn't want to eat. I had a hard time sleeping. And, it was, and I'd never had any of this stuff before. The stuff that I look back on and say, you know, I was depressed. I didn't know what that was. But I was experiencing that for several months leading up to the summer of 07 when I hit my bottom. And that afternoon, I was sitting there as my wife and I were about to go to work. And I said that to her. There's something wrong with me, and I, and I, I don't know how to fix it. And um, at that, that day, at that moment, something changed. Something shifted. You know, I had been coming to meetings. I had made phone calls. I would read some of the literature. I even had a sponsor and was attempting to do some of the steps, but that realization of my own powerlessness to fix what was wrong with me hadn't hit me until then. And when it did, um, things really started to change. It wasn't long after that I went to my first marathon, one of many, and it was in it was Nashville, out of the darkness, September or October of 07. Bill, I'm sure, was there. Um, and... I met people there who were not acting out like me, but they were not miserable like me. That, that was the key. Uh, and I liked what they had to say. We had, yeah, the, meeting, the meetings at that time we had were um, fairly good size, but they weren't healthy in here in Chattanooga. Uh, most people, the, my sponsor at the time was like the guru, and he had like nine months, and he hadn't even finished all his amends yet. You know, and he was like, ah. Uh, so that kind of gives you an idea of what the quality of the meetings were like. And so then I went to this marathon. There's people with years you know, of sobriety who did, were doing great. And I heard somebody speak there, um, some of you know, and Jim from Asheville. 
And uh, he had like seven years at the time, and you know, seven years. And uh, he talked about his experience of going through the steps, you know. And the steps wasn't something we talked a lot about in Chattanooga back then. Um, people didn't like to talk about the steps. They didn't like to talk about lust. Um, they like to talk about, you know, what had happened the previous week. And uh, so he talked about going through the steps and how it changed his life and all this stuff. And, you, you know, I've learned since that people who have recovery, when I hear him speak, there's a quality. It's not what they say. I think it's more how they say it or the presence they convey that's just... I know what that is now, and I want to get to know that person. Um, so I went up to, to Jim afterwards, and I'd never done anything like this. I was going to ask him for his number, and of course I knew he was going to tell me to get away from him. You know, you freak, get away from me. I don't know who you are. I'm going to give you my phone number. But of course he didn't. Um, he gave me his number and said he'd be happy to talk to me. I was approaching my four-step at the time. He said, oh, yeah, man, call me. We'll talk about that four-step. It's really not that complicated. You know, you can get through it pretty quick. Um, it's actually pretty simple. People make it more complicated than it is. And I thought, okay. So I started calling him, and he started giving me suggestions, offering me prayers. I think he didn't teach me the third step prayer, but he encouraged me to use it regularly. And I think that was around the time when I first memorized the third step prayer. I've used it many, many times since. Um, so as I hit, you know, when, once I hit my bottom, I became willing to do things that I hadn't been willing to do before, you know, to show up to these marathons, to go up to strangers and ask for their number and then actually call them. Um, I have experience on both sides of that now. I have people come to me and ask me for my number. Sure, you know, yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I don't ever hear from them. Some of them, some I do. Some, some I've talked to regularly now um, and meeting them just, just at the same kinds of events that I met Jim at. Um, so hitting bottom for me was, was what the 12 and 12 calls an admission of hopelessness. You know, I, I can't do it. I don't have any more answers. I was trying to find answers in books, and I went to a counselor and prayer and church, and it wasn't improving. It was getting worse. Um, but when I came to the point to realize it wasn't, it wasn't going to be me that was going to figure it out. Somebody else was going to have to give me some guidance. Once I got to that point, I started to make progress. Um, So I finished the steps in the spring of 08. It took me about 10 months, I guess, from August of 07 when I really got serious till when the time I finished my amends, which is considerably longer than it takes my sponsees to finish the steps, usually. Um, I've since learned that uh, it's better to work them fast and get them done because it's, you know, you, you, can work them, you can work them continually after you finish them, but... To get through the process so that I've got all the tools um, so that I can begin putting them into practice you know, as soon as possible. Um, so I try to take people through them at a rate of about a step a week. Uh, and that, that seems to work pretty good. Um, and, and everything changed. I didn't think it would. That was one of my things. I was afraid I was going to get through the process and, and everything was going to be the same. And in fact... I remember sending an email to my sponsor, um, or at least the guy who became my sponsor. He helped me through my amends as well. And it was right around the time I was doing steps eight and nine, and man, I stalled. And I've learned that every time I stalled going through the steps, I would revert back to that place of misery and dry drunk and depression, and, and I wouldn't know why. you know. And I, I would call my sponsor. I remember one time I said, man, I don't know what it is. You know, is. I'm depressed. I'm having suicidal thoughts. I've never had suicidal thoughts before. I, can't, I just can't figure it out. He said, well, have you finished your amends? Your amends letters? I was working on step eight. And I said, uh, no. <laughs> and 
And he said, well, uh, you, I don't know if I should say this on the recording, but it's what he said to me. You need to get your ass in gear and finish those amends letters. And I heard it. Uh, that he had said that before, but I heard it that day, and I went home and, and knocked him out. And, and, and whenever I have picked back up where I left off, I have felt like I was back on the beam, back where I needed to be. Um, but anyway, this was a little bit later. Uh, I was still going through the amends process. And I sent an email to my sponsor and said, you know, I, uh, I just I feel like I'm, I'm not sure if this is going to work. Um, I'm thinking about leaving the program. I don't want to leave the program, but I'm just telling you what my thoughts are right now. And um, then that was it. And then I went and ate dinner. And I don't, know, I don't even remember if he emailed me back. Uh, but it wasn't three or four weeks after that that I actually completed my letters. I sent out the ones that I planned to mail. I did the ones in person that I planned to do in person. Burned the ones that couldn't be made directly. Um, you know, did did the whole process, and uh, within a couple of weeks after that, it was like everything was different um, inside, anyway. So that the outside seemed seemed to be different, and I was just high, high on recovery, you know. And I I must have been talking to my sponsor about this at one point because um, I got home one day and I had an email from him, and he had sent me back the email that I had sent to him and said, "Remember." how you were feeling just a month ago. And I had forgotten at that point about that. I had completely forgotten about the original email. He sent it back to me and said, remember how you, know, how you were feeling just four weeks ago or something? Wow. Um, I emailed him back and said, thank you for sending that to me. I had forgot I even sent you that. And, uh, and, and things were so different from what they had then. Um, and that, that was a good experience. Um. So, I guess that brings you up to how I got here and the what happened part. You know, I worked, I worked the steps and things changed. So why am I still here? Uh, after finishing in spring of 08, it's now late spring of 2012, and I'm still here. Why is that? Well, the first reason is I want to keep the life that I've got. That change that happened in the spring of 08... Um, where, uh, it, I mean, it really just started me on a journey. That change just started... The process of you know continuing uh, developing a relationship with my higher power with people around me uh, you know my marriage has changed uh, much for the better thanks a lot to step ten um, my my experience was just like it says in the white book the the Sunday morning talks if you've read that that part of the white book that Roy had with uh, with his wife was sitting her down and trying to kindly explained to her you know, all of the things that she needed to change about herself and how terribly those conversations went. Uh, I had those conversations. I don't think it was on Sunday morning, but it was the same conversation. And it always went badly. And I kept trying it. Uh, and then I got to step 10. And it was clear to me that I was doing it backwards. You know? And so I began going to her when I had screwed up and, and talking only about you know, what I had done. You know, I spoke harshly to you earlier or I withdrew. That was usually my pattern. The 12 and 12 talks about sulking and silent scorn. That has been my pattern, to just close off, to withdraw, not be present. I'm not, at least in my marriage, I'm not a rager. When I was living at home as a teenager, that was the way my anger came out, punching holes in the walls and that kind of thing. Um, but I sort of closed that off and went to the opposite extreme in my marriage where I would just shut, shut down. So I had to make continual amends for doing that. Man, that was painful. 
but it changed. You know, it changed me. And I'll be damned if my wife didn't start coming to me and saying, you know, a little bit earlier today I was I, I, I spoke harshly to you or I, I said something I wish I hadn't said and I was wrong about that. I was like, whoa. <laughs> whoa what just happened? Um, that process had, that process in itself, I think, changed the, the tenor of my marriage. Um, and there's there's been much more. Um, much more than that. My relationships with my parents, you know, I'll just say briefly uh, with my mom, who, when I started coming to meetings, we weren't speaking um, for various reasons. Uh, she's an alcoholic, and I had a lot of, uh, I had anger about that, I had fear about that, I had um, control, you know, trying to get her to quit. I'm the oldest of four, and, um, you know, and that was my thing. You know, I can, I can figure out how to get her to stop, and of course I couldn't. She was as powerless over that as I as I am over my addiction. So we weren't speaking when I started uh, recovery, but about a year and a half ago, through this process, through some other help I've gotten outside of the fellowship, I was able to write her a letter and share my feelings with her about what it was like growing up in an alcoholic household. And to do that with understanding without shame, without blame, without telling her she should have done this or that, or I want her to fix this, but just to say this was my experience. Because at the time we had started to reconnect, our relationship had started to reconnect, and all this stuff came back up, and I thought if we're going to have an honest relationship, I've got to be honest you know, and, and vulnerable and open enough to say what it was like for me. And if I can do that, without causing more harm, I feel like that's what needs to be done. So I wrote up a letter, I shared it with my sponsor, I shared it with another friend. They sort of said, this sounds good to me, I don't think you're going to harm anybody by this. And I was able to mail that to her and let go. I didn't know what was going to happen. And she, uh, she sent me a card back and said, um, you know, thank you for your letter. I, I you know, acknowledge what you're saying. If I had it to do differently, I would have. You know, um, Just said some really, really um, gracious things and and ever since then, we've been, you know, slowly, very slowly rebuilding that relationship. We write letters regularly. Uh, we talked on the phone just a couple of nights ago. Um, there's, you know, if, if I'm being honest, there's, there's not a closeness there. I don't know if there will be. There's not an emotional intimacy there. I think there was so much time that passed where we weren't talking at all. And when we were, when I was living at home, there was so much um, chaos that there a lot of distance was created between us, but um, but we're talking and we're working at it and we're not moving away. We're moving together. I guess is the main thing. Um, and I don't think I would have had the capability to do something like that if I hadn't gone through this process. Um, the fellowship is another reason I'm still here. The 12 and 12 says on page 60, going it alone in spiritual matters is dangerous. Um, I've got that mark. I've had that mark for a long time. Going it alone in spiritual matters is dangerous. Um, And that's what the fellowship has given me, a whole group of people uh, who let me know I don't have to do it alone, who have experience. Um, You know, I I can look around the room and see uh, people that I've either pulled aside at marathons like this and spent an hour talking to because I had something going on I couldn't figure out what to do and they helped me. People that uh, I talk to daily 
who um, you know I share things with, I get feedback from. They share things with me. You know, we support each other in our in our journey with the steps. Um, people who I've asked to to help out to be of service this marathon. People who've asked me to help out and be of service at their marathons. Um, people who've come from other cities to visit our meeting uh, to support you know our our growing fellowship in Chattanooga. Um, you know, all of these things. Uh, that support me in my, you know, in my journey. Um, not too long ago in, in uh, Asheville, last in April at Mountain, the Mountain Spring Marathon, I was asked to be part of uh, leading a meeting on the 10th step. And I had been feeling for the last, I don't know, year or so that my 10th step routine has started to feel kind of stale. Uh, I was doing it every night, but it just started to feel like, I don't know what I'm, if I'm getting a lot out of this anymore. Maybe I want to switch it up or something. And here I am about to lead a meeting on it. And I thought, I don't, I don't know if I have a lot of good stuff to say. You know, I'm, I'm feeling kind of uh, ambivalent about Step 10 right now. So I called you know, someone I knew in the program and said, uh, I don't know what to do about this. What do you think? And uh, they said, well, why don't you just say that? You know, this, is meaning, this is a program about honesty, right? Why don't you get up there and just say, this is, how, this is where I am with Step 10. And, and if anyone's got suggestions about how to spice it up a little bit, you know, I'd be glad to hear it. <laughs> uh, so that's exactly what I did. And the result of that was that I now, uh, one of my sponsees and I, every day at 5 o'clock, call each other and share our 10 steps with each other. And i got to tell you, that's been such a powerful experience. Um, the difference between just writing it down and closing the book and going on with the rest of my evening or the rest of my day, between that and writing it down and knowing I'm going to have to call somebody up and say, okay, these are the three things that I screwed up today. These are the three things I think I did well today. Here's how I imagine I can do better with, you know, with God's help tomorrow. Uh, some of it, I don't even know what to do about this. What do you think about that? You know, and, uh, that's been a great experience. So if your 10-step has started to feel stale, call somebody up and see if they'd be willing to, uh, you know, to, to start a regular program of, of sharing it. And I heard that at the meeting, the 10-step meeting that I was leading. Uh, supposedly, and um, man, it's been a gift. So, without a fellowship, none of that would happen. I, I wouldn't have had someone to call to ask them what to share at the ten step meeting. I wouldn't have people at the meeting to share helpful suggestions with me, and I wouldn't have had a sponsee to um, start up that daily phone call with. Um, so, I see all around ways that um, that I'm being helped because because you all are here. Um, the last thing I'll talk about is uh, the 12 steps as one, you know, one of the reasons I'm still here. And on, in the 12 and 12 on page 15, it, t- it calls the steps uh, a group of principles, spiritual principles. And I didn't, well, I was going to say I didn't have that before. I didn't have that growing up. I think I had principles uh, communicated to me. But the message I got was that what was really important were my beliefs, my religious beliefs. And as long as those were all lined up like they were supposed to be, and I signed on the dotted line, that I was good. But that didn't help me in my day-to-day living. Um, What I found when I got to recovery, when I got to SA, was that uh, I found a a spiritual path which meant action, regular action. That was the thing that was missing for me. 
Uh, I had lots of thoughts and theories and doctrines and beliefs um, that gave me some really good ideas but didn't give me much um, relief in my daily life, didn't give me much direction about how to act and how to live. Um, But that is exactly what I found in the program. One of my favorite lines in the big book is, the spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. Uh, and, and that was helpful to me because I had lots of theories when I got here. Um, so that, so I, what I, one thing I found in the steps is a, is a spiritual path, a spiritual way of life. Or as my sponsor says, it's a whole new way of living, baby. <laughs> um, so what are, the, what are the primary actions that I take um, regularly as part of my 12-step way of life? <clears throat> I talked about step 10, self-examination. Uh, and I do that every day. I do it. I write it down in the morning. I started doing that to help me wake up. Uh, we, I was getting up and going straight to my meditation and, and starting to nod off. So I thought, i got to do something. So I started doing my 10th step first thing in the morning. So I get up and sit down and do some writing and sort of get my awareness going. And then, then I was awake enough to do my 11th uh, my step meditation. In the afternoon is when uh, I call my sponsee or he calls me and we share our 10th step from the previous day. Um, you know, and then throughout the day when I get tangled up, I do periodic, uh, what the 12 and 12 calls, a spot check 10-step inventories. So, you know, all this being part of a self-examination. Um, and we just had a meeting on the slogans. The slogans are incredibly helpful as I go throughout the day and I get tangled up in situations where I don't have the time to go find a spot and get out a notebook and write out an inventory. I just, I need something I can work with now. And the slogans are incredibly helpful with that. Keep it simple. Progress, not perfection. Let go and let God... Um, how important is it? This too shall pass. Uh, those are two of my favorites. How important is it? And this too shall pass. Uh, I can insert those in my brain when all the other craziness is going on and it sort of calms things down. Prayer and meditation, um, another of the regular actions I take as part of the 12-step path. Um, this is one of the places for me that I see grace working a lot. Uh, one of the one of the other places is to go back a little is is when I hit my bottom. You know, the twelve twelve says that it was by circumstance rather than any virtue that I was driven to essay. Um, so that helps me when I start feeling high and mighty about showing up to this program. It's like I didn't. Uh, I think it's Bill. Or somebody says, you know, we don't get here on a winning streak. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't say one day. You know, I think I need to up my spirituality a little bit. I'll check out one of these twelve-step meetings. Um, by the time I got serious, there was nothing in me that had, you know, created. Uh, you know, my what I had created was desperation and misery. Um, but that was that in itself was grace because it made me willing to do whatever it was people in the program suggested that I do. So that's one place. Another place is um, I've had a regular practice of meditation. When I say regular, I mean every morning um, since the summer of, well, I'm going to have to qualify here in a minute, but since the summer of 2008, after I finished my amends, I had a period in the winter of 2008 where I stopped on my own advice uh, for (laughs) for about two months and you know, and then picked it back up after that. And I haven't missed a day of meditation since then, since the winter of, of 09. 
And I don't, I don't know what that is um, other than um, it was the right time. I was willing to hear it. I was willing to hear that it was necessary that I do it every day. I haven't done it this morning, but I'll tell you last night I was thinking about my day. I put two reminders in my phone when I get home after all this is over that I'm doing my meditation you know, before I go to bed. Uh, it's rare that I have to do that, but if I don't get it in the morning, it's, it is, it's going to happen in the evening before I go to bed. I'll probably be sleepy. I may nod off a little bit, but I'm going to sit there for 30 minutes and do what I do. Um, I haven't had any blinding light experiences. I always wanted the blinding light experiences, you know, and I thought that that would tell me that I was doing it right. And I'm thankful for the big book's discussion of spiritual experiences, Appendix 2, in the back of the big book. I can't remember the page number. It's in the 500s. Um, where it talks about two different kinds of spiritual experiences. The one that Bill uh, Wilson had where everything sort of clicked at once, or at least that's the way it seemed. And then the, what they call the educational variety of spiritual experience, where it's prolonged over a period of time. And people who are experiencing it often don't notice it. But people you know, who see what's happening in their lives will notice it for them. Um, I was grateful to realize that maybe that was what was going on for me. And today I know that it was. Because if I look at my life today and compare it to five years ago, something drastic has happened, um, much to the good. And um, so while I haven't had blinding light experiences in my meditation, I haven't even seen any visions or anything. I can't, I'm still distracted most of the time while I'm meditating. But it doesn't seem to matter because my life continues to improve. Uh, I, heard, I heard, I think it was Chuck... Uh, C from AA who said, you know, how do I know my 11th step is working? He said, because I've never had it so good. Um, and that was helpful for me. Because when I, when I was in, in the middle of meditating, it didn't seem like anything drastic was happening. But my, out, my life outside of meditation is constantly improving. Um, so I, I sort of use that as my gauge rather than did I feel incredibly one with the universe this morning while I was meditating? I don't. If I use that gauge, I get discouraged really quickly. Um, so prayer and meditation. Uh, sponsorship and service. The last two, uh, why I'm still here. Sp- uh, service, someone told me just when I was in Asheville, one of the, one of the people at the fellowship that I pulled aside and I said, I'm having a problem, I need to talk. And they said, okay. So we spent about an hour talking. And one of the things he said to me was that service keeps him tethered to the fellowship. You know, if I know I've got to get up here and speak, most likely I'm going to be here. You know, if I know I've got to, you know, be at a business meeting after the meeting or, or lead a meeting or um, whatever, meet with a sponsee, you know, I'm going to show up for those things. Um, it makes it harder for me to, to slip away, you know, without noticing it if I've got commitments to the group and commitments to the fellowship. Um, sponsorship. In the big book says that God will show us how to create uh, the fellowship we crave. And it's so cool to be a part of this um, Chattanooga group, having been there uh, when we, we... We used to, I won't go into this too much, but we used to be mixed with another S fellowship, and the meetings were bigger then, and then we split off, and that was when... That was around the time I started. And when we split is when we were a really small group, three or four of us. And to, to have been there from that point... And to, and to be here today and to know that, um, you know, as Tom said, you know, I've, I've been able to sponsor a number of, of the men in our fellowship and to take them through the steps um, and to see them now go on to sponsor other people uh, who, who come in, you know, after them. And to see, you know, the people are here today. I remember talking to my sponsor one time saying, you know, I don't, 
trying, trying to figure out what can we do to grow our group. You know, we need to make it bigger. Uh, as if just more people were going to improve the quality of the meeting somehow. Uh, which I don't know why I thought that, because when we had 15 people when I first started coming, it was incredibly sick. And then we got to down where about three or four, and some of us started to get recovery, and it was a much better quality meeting. So numbers don't really matter. But I was on that kick for some reason, and he said, you know, don't worry about all that stuff. Just take people through the steps. You know, take people one at a time through the 12 steps, and they get done, take another person through, and let God take care of growing the meeting. And I'll be damned if it hasn't worked out like that. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, we haven't done a lot of, you know, here's where we are, come come join us. You know, I mean, we're out there. We have a website. We have a phone number. Um, and, you know, people find us. And we're now talking more about doing, you know, reaching out to the professional community and stuff. That's something we've begun to discuss. But um, I've been able to watch it grow by just sponsoring people and watching, you know, and, and making sure that when people do come in, we take care of them. You know, we, we have people who have sobriety go talk to them, you know, two-on-one or so, and share some literature with them and how they, you know, how they got here and what sponsorship is like and what the steps are about. And make sure that when they do show up, we, we give them helpful guidance. Um, but other than that, we've, you know, at least I've, I feel like I've just watched it happen. Um, I'll close with this. This occurred to me when I was making my notes. Just one of those things, you know, one of those intuitive thoughts that in my addiction, I was a person um, prone to touching people inappropriately. Uh, I don't think that's unusual um, for a sex addict. I was, you know, invaded people's boundaries and um, touched them when they didn't want to be touched or, uh, you know, just was, was inappropriate in that way. And as I was sitting there making my notes, it occurred to me that in recovery, I'm now able to touch people spiritually, touch people's lives appropriately, a way that is healthy and brings healing. Um, one of my sponsees is uh, a crossover from AA. I know a lot of those. And um, he came in, and uh, at first he came in, he didn't think he belonged. And he went away for a few weeks, and then he realized he did belong, and he came back. Um, and once that once that light came on for him, man, I think he bought all the white books we had in our box, and he went back to his AA sponsees and down in Dalton and just was like handing those things out. I think he mailed one to Virginia, you know, and he's just you know calling people. You gotta you know look, you got yeah, you've got this too. I know you do. I did. I saw your forestep. And uh, you know, just I mean, just all just spreading it out everywhere. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm such a small part of that. I mean, he's the one doing the work, but you know, I, I did have contact with him, and and uh, just to see that, you know, I think probably every person whose life is touched through SA, through whose life is touched by the steps, if I have anything to do with that, every person who's touched is an amends to the other people. You know, I touched before I came to the program. Um, those people I'm, I'm not able to reach or would be unhelpful for me to reach out to at this point. Uh, I can make an amends by that. Uh, and that's cool. So uh, thanks, for, thanks for coming. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoy the rest of the day.
would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.